Welcome to McChesney Unchained, a new show on the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Before we jump into it, we want you to know that this is a little different than our other shows. Matt McChesney is going to give you an uncensored take on what's going on in the football world, and if you have kids around, you may want to listen to this at another time. McChesney's opinions do not represent those of BSN Denver, but they are real, and they come from a CU legend who spent six years battling in the NFL trenches. Now, sit back and enjoy the show. And Parliament brings you in with a little flashlight action. You know it's going to be a good show on episode 44 of McChesney Unchained. We are rolling on bsndenver.com. I am your host, as always, Matt McChesney, coming to you from the sanctum that is 6-0 Strength and Fitness, a.k.a. 6-0 Football Academy, a.k.a. The Dungeon. That's how we roll. Sitting at 6-0 Studios right now, uh, about to drop some straight knowledge and heat on you in episode 44. Remember that... Uh, uh, McChesney Unchained, sorry, I had a CTE moment right there. Remember that McChesney Unchained is always brought to you by our good friends at 10th and For the remainder of the football season, they're our title sponsor. Uh, it's an incredible product. All buff gear, all right? And it is clean, super clean. The shirts fit me. They're long enough. They're big enough. Uh, really, really clean, cursive, old school Colorado. Really clean shirts. I love them. The hats are where it's at, though. They're deep. They're snapbacks. I wear them all the time. I'm constantly rocking my Colorado. The, the old, like, wool thread. Man, they are badass. So check it out, 10thandunity.com. Use the promo code GOBUFFS, uh, and they'll get you hooked up. But I'm telling you, it is an awesome, awesome product, especially for all you Buffalo fans. So 10thandunity.com. Uh, and they bring you episode 44, McChesney Unchained here. So we rolled. We're going to talk a lot about uh, football today, obviously. That's what this show is. Um, I, I'm going to save uh, the Rocky Mountain Showdown talk for the end of the show. I'm going to get through all the pertinent news here, uh, first and foremost, and go straight into the hottest topic out there. And that's, you know, the great Andrew Luck decides to retire. Now, was I stunned? Absolutely, I was stunned. I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. I thought it was a prank. That said, I understand completely to the point of... I was almost in tears watching the guy's press conference because I know exactly how Andrew feels. I walked away from the NFL. Mind you, I didn't have $100 million in the bank, and I'm not a superstar quarterback like Andrew Luck, but I had to make a decision. My body was beat to hell. I told myself if I got hurt again, regardless of what it was, I couldn't do it anymore to myself. And that's where Andrew is. And to judge a man and... For the Colt fans to boo him, I mean, why? Why boo him? You're booing, I understand you may be booing what is happening and not necessarily him, but it is a bad look. I understand we're all just pieces of meat, but holy shit. This is why I think everybody should hold out and get as much money as possible, because fans don't really care about you. They care about the logo. You know, he's just a jersey, just a jersey number, and Andrew Luck... Unfortunately, I think he expected people to like roll with this, and they're just not. And Steve Berline's coming out and, and talking against it. And Doug Gottlieb. Now, look, I doubt Doug Gottlieb's bitch ass is listening to the show, but Doug, you're a punk, dude. Like, what you said that it's a millennial thing, that he doesn't want to go to treatment, and that's why he's retiring, you're a fucking punk. 
You're a punk. That's not what this is about. This man played, he played a football game, an entire half of football with a lacerated kidney against the Broncos. He's about as tough as they come. He was a hard-nosed bitch on the field. His body can't take it anymore. He plainly said he's really worried about himself and he's unhappy and it took the joy. That's exactly how I felt. I can, I totally understand where he's coming from. I mean, he's on TV right now in my studio. I'm watching him struggle and the pain on his face. It hurts. It hurts me. I had, I had to walk from football. <laughs> you think people want to walk? I'm sorry I'm getting emotional about this, but this is our livelihood. This is what we, what we work for our entire life. And it ends one day, and you can't get it back. And there's so many people going after this cat right now, and all he's doing is trying to look out for himself. How dare you fucking judge him for that? How dare you boo that man? Man, I'm, I'm telling you, I never really had a bunch of disdain for NFL fans until this year. But to hear Kansas City fans rationalize Tariq Hill being a child abuser openly, admitting it, and how they, you know, they, they don't care, essentially, if he can run fast and catch the ball. And then to hear the Colt fans boo this man off the field when he announces his retirement, it, it gives me no hope in humanity at times. I know I'm, I sound emotional because I am, man. I, I had this game taken from me. And it was embarrassing the way my career ended. Getting ran over by your best friend who used to be your best friend on the golf course. It's fucking embarrassing. I hate golf. I was just there, killing time, and it killed my career. You think I like that shit? You think I? You think it doesn't affect me internally? I'm just some big tough piece of meat? No, I'm a human being. I have emotions. It fucking hurts. It hurt when I had to hang it up because I can't do it anymore. Because I can't have my wife help me out of bed anymore. I can't get up and down the stairs, or I can't function as a player. That's pride. It takes everything from you. Very rarely do you get anything back. There's tons of guys that played in college that it was taken from them. And I understand football's vicious and it's supposed to be and that's what makes it great. But damn it, it's also what makes it, what makes it this. People don't see it. They don't see how much you really care. They just think he's a number. I feel bad for Andrew. I mean, he's got $100 million in the bank. Great. You don't take that with you when you leave. When you're gone. When I was at, and I, I'm not trying to bring up, you know, bad news or anything, but when Rashawn Salam passed, and I was at his funeral, it was terrible. But, it, you know, there, there were, when they were putting him in uh, and laying him to rest, it, you know, the guy's saying he's not taking anything with him. And that's the truth. You can't take it with you. And Andrew's trying to improve his quality of life, and how fucking dare you judge him. And if you're out there saying he's soft, I, man... That's wrong. You're wrong. It's just flat wrong. He's not soft. He's smart. He can't do it anymore, man. He doesn't want his brain to be mush, and he probably feels like shit all the time. And how dare you judge him for making a uh, decision that is betterment for him and his life and his family. So I wish Andrew Luck nothing but the best. And you know what? If it's not the last time you see him, then it's not the last time you see him. But I'm telling you, it takes a lot of balls to do what he just did. And I respect the hell out of it. So... If you don't have respect for that, I think you're a real low character individual. If you're if you're finding some negative in this, you're selfish and low character. It's not your money. It's just a goddamn football game, so you need to back up. All right, neither here nor there. 
Uh, I don't know if everybody has heard this Patrick Chung story, but apparently Patrick Chung's in training camp, right, doing his thing for the Patriots, and somebody breaks into his house, all right, and there's a B&E, an alarm goes off, the, the cops show up, uh, and they have, you know, probable cause to enter the, the domicile, and they go in, and they search the house, and they find a bunch of blow. Now, I'm not condoning blow use, I mean, come on, Pat, you're a safety in the NFL, but what a shitty way to get caught doing something, you know? So he got indicted, and now he's getting blown up, and people are making a big stink about it. And yes, he shouldn't be doing blow, but this this feels a little fishy to me, like maybe they're just trying to get somebody's ass in trouble. I don't know. Um, I just find it, I, I find it funny. It's concerning at the same time, but the way it's happening is pretty funny if, if you're not a Patriot fan. If you're a Patriot fan, you must just think that every damn conspiracy theory on earth is targeted at you. But at the same time, I think I would trade all these conspiracy theories and, and drama and like inflate gate and, you know, when I was playing for the Jets and Mangini came out that year and said that they're recording practices and shit like that, I think I'd trade all these scandals for all the rings and Super Bowl appearances. I don't know. Uh, the Broncos seem to be able to win, maybe not at that rate, but they win and win Super Bowls without cheating. So, I, I, I don't know. It, you know, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, I guess, up there in New England. Um... But they, they do win a lot of football games. But at the same time, Patrick Chung, this is ridiculous, man. You don't need to be just storm blow at your New Hampshire residence. <laughs> All right. So that's, I mean, it's pretty funny, honestly. At least you get something to fuck with your Patriot friends about because they're sitting on their high horse. It, it won't last forever. But from what I hear about Jared Stedham, it might. I mean, holy shit. They may be reloading in New England after Tom retires at 60. So we'll see. Um, speaking of blow, uh, 49ers hired Chris Foster. Uh, yeah, that Chris Foster, the guy that was actively doing blow in a offensive line meeting room, uh, while he sends a text message or a picture message to his hooker, stripper, girlfriend, acquaintance lady who doesn't really like him, who then in turn turns around and blows it up and gets him fired. Yeah, the 49ers hired that guy. I'm sure that he went to rehab and has his shit quote unquote figured out, but at the same time, this is, uh, I mean, what does he bring to the table that makes him a really, like an elite hire for the Niners? What is he going to teach Ben Garland? I mean, I, I don't know, man. I, it just, I don't understand. Is he that good of a coach that you can just cover up all the shit that in the past? Or can you just look by the past as substance abuse issues? And that happens. No one's sitting here saying that people don't struggle with substance abuse. I'm not trying to be, you know, a dick about this. I'm saying uh, it's just a bad look. That's all. So I'd love to hear the justification for it. And maybe he's just a bad motherfucking offensive line coach. And he's going to come in there and get these guys raring to go in the right direction. And then who gives a shit if it's a bad hire, in my opinion. I'm just saying it's, it's kind of funny. You know, I wonder what he's doing in the, uh, in the meeting room at four in the morning. Is he really, really, really that motivated to coach, or has he been awake for three days? One never knows. Okay, uh, so <clears throat> moving forward, speaking of the 49ers, a report came out that some time ago the Broncos tried to trade for Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard uh, for their backup quarterback job, and we'll move straight into the Denver Broncos here. And you always remember that our Bronco banter is always brought to you by our good friends at NeuroXPF.com. My man Kyle Turley and his wonderful wife Stacy Turley, their product line is amazing. We sell it at 60 Football Academy, 60 Strength. 
check it out, sixzerostrength.com. But I'm telling you, the neuroxpf.com uh, CBD uh, MCT oil pills are amazing. The muscle rub is amazing. The tinctures, I mean, two, three droplets of those tinctures, and you're boom, you're cooked, you're out for the night. And CBD has no THC in it. It's THC free. It's formulated for athletes by a professional athlete. Check it out at neuroxpf.com. Use the promo code 6020 and you'll get 20% off or bring your ass down to 60. We will hook you up uh, with some of the product as we carry it in-house. It has totally replaced Celebrex and, Ty and Advil and Tylenol and all that shit. It's not a painkiller. It's not an opioid. But at the same time, it has a lot of great effects that you don't you know that opioids there's a lot of negative things that come with that as well and you don't have any of those negatives with cbd so uh it's an incredible product i highly encourage you to check it out check out at kyle turley one i believe is his uh, twitter page he talks about it all the time but neuroxpf.com brings you our bronco banner as always and we go straight into the backup quarterback talk and that is cj bethard and nick mullins were sought after from a trade perspective by the denver broncos now this was before Drew Locke. Drew's hurt. In order to get him to the six to eight week IR, he has to make the team essentially. So I'd imagine they'll cut Kevin Hogan, keep Drew Locke for a day or two, and then IR Drew, and then try and find a suitable backup somewhere so Drew can sit for eight weeks and learn and and you know still be on the squad when he comes back healthy to compete for the second job once that other guy gets in the room. I'm not saying Hogan is a bad quarterback. I'm saying he's not the quarterback here. And Rippon is going to be your practice squad guy, assuming they can slide him to practice squad. I don't know if they can or not. Um, the backup quarterback is an issue. I think it's an alarming one. But at the same time, it's not the biggest one, in my opinion. It's alarming, but far from the biggest issue with your Denver Broncos. And, and look, it's because I believe in Flacco. I really do. I think Joe's going to have a great fucking year. I like the offensive line. I don't think there's as much of a depth problem as other people think there is. I think that that's a a way to get people to panic. It's an easy, you know, it's low-lying fruit, we'll say. Uh, I think Flacco is going to benefit greatly from the play-action scheme. I think Phil Lindsay and this offensive line are going to figure it out. Um, and I think that Bowles is going to figure it out. I do. I believe that 72 will have a, a resurgent year. And even if he doesn't play here next year, he will be somewhere starting. Uh, even if it is on the right side, I don't know. I just I have a feeling that he's going to get better because I believe in Dalton Reisner. I do. I think Reisner at left guard is a great fit. Not only is he a good football player and a real mean bastard out there on the field, which I dig, and I'd like to think I had something to do with because I've been working with the kids since he was 15, uh, and he's always been that way. I just told him it was okay when he was young, and he believed me, and that's awesome. Um, and he's a great leader too, and he's a rookie. I mean, he's leading Garrett, and to hear Vic Fangio say he doesn't want Bowles on the field without Reisner, well, I think it should be, you know, I don't want him on the field without Reisner either way, but I think it's for the benefit of Bowles, not Dalton. Dalton probably knows the playbook better than Garrett anyway, so I would assume that, that Dalton Reisner is the best thing to happen to Garrett Bowles in a while. And I like McGovern at center. I think him and Ron Leary playing next to each other at right guard and center are going to just destroy people on ace concept all year. Uh, I love Jawan James and what he's brought to the Broncos at right tackle. I think that he's going to be a great player for them all year. And if they can stay healthy, they can build some continuity and really kick the shit out of people. I was watching a lot of New England and, and their offensive scheme and how they do things. And I was watching the AFC title game. 
I put a clip on on uh, at BSN Unchained, which is a Twitter page for the show. I put a clip up of them just manhandling Kansas City, and if they can do it, Denver can. I truly believe this. So, you know, getting Janovich back in six to eight weeks, that's going to be huge. Who's really going to replace him? Even if it is a fullback, it may have to be Fumagalli or someone like that. Um, it, when you're looking at the depth on the offensive line, I think Schlotman makes the team from what I've seen. I don't know. Maybe it's between him and Sam Jones, but one of them will be on the practice squad and one of them will be on the active. I'm pretty sure that Barclay makes the team. They didn't bring him in to sit, and he can play center as well. As you've seen, he's even played a lot of right guard in his time. Um, you know, after that, I mean, we'll see what happens. Do they keep eight? Do they keep nine? Who's the swing tackle? I mean, other than Elijah Wilkinson, who's the the swing tackle? Are they going to keep nine plus one practice squad? Are they going to keep eight plus two? Are they going to keep ten plus one? I mean, you have to have ten to operate in practice, and they usually like to have a reserve or two on practice squad. Can you slip a guy like Sam Jones or Schlotman to the practice squad? I don't know if you can. Both those guys are good football players. Somebody's going to be looking for offensive line help. So I heard the fans say that they were going to go try and get two offensive linemen off waivers, and Again, I don't think that the depth is as much of an issue as other people do, to say the least. Um, now, all that said, you know, who knows? They play Thursday night, and they could go out and just keep the five that they like and go totally revamp the backups. I don't know, man. The NFL means not for long, so just, you know, act accordingly as a player and remember that as a fan. Um, when you're moving into the backup quarterback, Mullins, Bethard, lock you know do you go hit the waiver wire do you wait for Fitzpatrick to get cut if Rosen's the starter so on and so forth I just think you roll with Flacco like I said so we'll see what happens there I don't really want to give up a draft pick for Nick Mullins or CJ Beathard or something like that I even think that Rippin could be a good backup quarterback but see I think Kyle Schloeder could have been a good fit but he didn't get an opportunity so if you're not going to play the guy to even give him an opportunity how are you ever going to know if they can run with it or not so hopefully the Broncos can at least start giving more of an opportunity rather than just assuming a guy can't handle it Rippin could be that guy one never knows um, I don't want to just keep an abundance of quarterbacks to sacrifice other spots though because I do think there's some good depth on the team regardless of what others may say um, when you're looking at the rest of what the Broncos are doing uh, they cut uh, Zach Kerr. They cut Watson, the outside linebacker. That just tells you that they like their rookies. Uh, Jones, the rookie from Ohio State's vicious. He's got good hands. He's a good pass rusher. I love the Justin Hollins kid from Oregon. I put a video up of, of him on BSN Unchained, just absolutely manhandling the left tackle for the Rams, the backup to Whitworth, uh, with a nice sugar step inside move and a finish on the quarterback. No false step, really sinking his 6'5 frame and all that length into compact start, covering ground coming out of his stance and just hard crossover step on that sugar and off that right foot, that mean-ass crossover step, and then the handover and the finish on the cue was beautiful. I think if you can get him on the field, you get Hollins on the field, you get Chubb on the field. Chubb's 280, 285. You could put him at three technique, man. I mean, you, you put Hollins, Chubb, Vaughn, uh, Derek Wolf, or or Shelby Harris, or Gostas, whoever you want to throw out there for the third, and you got yourself a nice little NASCAR package. Bill Kohler's got to be licking his chops. I love I love what the Reed kid has done, the outside linebacker. He's really shown up in camp. Uh, the secondary is going to be deep and good. 
So, you know, Kareem Jackson is a great pickup. Callahan's a good pickup. I like the safeties and where they're. I think Simmons is a really good player. I like Will Parks and what he brings. Do I think Sue Cravens is in trouble making the team? Probably. Probably because Jamal Carter is that dude. Jamal Carter is a bad man now. When you can move down into the box like that and not only not only not struggle but excel and be the first one to the football and be so patiently aggressive, dude. I love how on tape he just waits for his key to show and then he's gone where linebackers are moving at the point and, and immediately because they've been taught to do that. Jamal Jamal Carter sitting there waiting for his key to show and then just attacking. He had that really nice TFL the other night, but he made a lot of really good plays in the passing game on crossing routes, jumping them. I think he's a great robber player, and you're not even really putting him in that situation because he's not at safety. But if he can play the hashes and start jumping hot routes based off of off of the protection schemes that he's looking at, for example, you know, when the Raiders walk up and they go four-man slide right and, and the left guard is stepping down to a one technique, the B-gap's open and he's kicking out on Chubb or Vaughn who's isolated, that left tackle. And there are two receivers outside and that, you know, the far slot receiver runs that four to six-yard slant into the middle of the field and the outside receiver runs the wheel route outside trying to, you know, get the safety and the nickel or the corner and the nickel to switch responsibilities rather than pass off. Or, or pass off rather than just run man-to-man, excuse me. I think that having a guy like Jamal Carter, who's been playing strong safety, backed up and seen a lot of that stuff materialize in front of him, I think putting him in the box will give him an opportunity to now jump what he's seen. So it, it's an awesome opportunity for 20, and I think he's going to make the team. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against 20 being the best second-level player by the end of the year. You know, Todd, Todd Jones comes back healthy. I think he's going to be a great asset. Uh, the outlaw Josie Jewell, you know, if he can come back healthy and be an asset, that's great. Uh, I love uh, the big kid from Tennessee, uh, Johnson. I think he's a real player uh, just lying in the wake and waiting for his opportunity. And he may get it before he even knows it, but he was all over the damn field the last two games. And just a, it's going to be a problem. Seems like he's a sideline to sideline, real, real good pursuit type linebacker that you want in this league. But he can also ham somebody up at the point of contact. He reminds me a lot of like a taller version of an Al Wilson who's also a Tennessee product. So, look, the Broncos have a lot to be happy about. They have a lot to be excited about this season. Their schedule's ruthless, but so is everyone's. It's the NFL. You're not going to play cupcakes. You, know, you can't play the fucking Cardinals every weekend and just roll, all right? You can't do that. And they're even getting better. The Broncos need to focus on now, the next 10 days, not being super sloppy Monday night. They're the last team to play at a place where they've notoriously struggled, especially recently. I mean, the last two to three years, last year's game was so bad, Bradley Roby was quitting in the middle of the game and having conversations with the fucking receivers, you know, while they're scoring touchdowns on us. The goddamn Raiders were talking to them. The year before that, I'm pretty sure they ran the ball straight down our throat and just beat the shit out of us in Del Rio's last home game. We always seem to play them on Monday Night Football in the black hole, and I dig that shit. Batteries are going to be flying. If you're not careful, keep your helmet on. Those fans are going to be drinking for three days straight. It's the last year in Oakland. They are going to absolutely be riled up. They really are believing the hype that 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 uh, Hard Knocks is portraying, that the Raiders aren't going to be a five-win team. 
I mean, come on, man. You went out and invested your leadership and future in Antonio Brown, Bontes Burfitt, and Richie Incognito, and you expect things to go well? Okay. I'll watch this disaster come to fruition. If Do I think Incognito is an absolute monster on the field? Shit, yeah, I do. Do I think he's an absolute head case? Absolutely. Antonio Brown, same thing, just in a more egotistical way. Richie is more of a nutcase. Vontez Burfitt, I just think he's a fake tough guy. I think he's tough when he's going against Matt Barkley or some shit. That famous picture of him pointing at Matt Barkley. Yeah, and no shit you're going to beat up Matt Barkley. How'd you do against the tackle or the guard? I'm not saying he can't play. I'm saying that there are times when Vontez gets dealt with and he expects people to feel sorry for him, but he doesn't understand that all that bullshit he talks and all that shit he does puts a huge target on him. So when Juju Smith-Schuster decletes his bitch ass on Sunday Night Football, no one feels sorry for him. He just lays there and bleeds, and they make a t-shirt out of it. Shit. So just, that's what it is. That's what this game is. So, you know, it's, this season is going to be very contingent on health and then being patient enough as a fan to let them turn into the team you want to see. Because you're not going to see the real Broncos until maybe week six. They got to figure out who they are still. They're not even playing. They're standing around in caps, waiting for the opener, just waiting to play football right now. That's all they're doing. All, all the time in is between now and then is stay healthy. Keep it simple, stupid, and stay healthy. That's it. So we're going to move on from the NFL. All the stories. Andrew Luck, best of luck to you, my friend. Uh, very emotional at the beginning of the show, but I can't help it. Um, remember our good friends at 10thanduni.com bring you, uh, episode 44 of McChesney Unchained on the BSN Denver Podcast Network. We're live at 60 Studios down here at 60 Strength and Fitness. This place is the bridge to your goals. Uh, we had 16 guys sign early last year, uh, for early signing day. And as of right now, we've got six, seven commits, uh, for next year's class and more guys coming in every day trying to get that work. And trying to earn it. And I'm telling you, there are some really, really good-looking big guys in here for the future. And some great skill players. And Colorado's deep. And this place is the bridge to your goal. So whatever you're looking for, check it out at And we will help you obtain big goals. We don't run from them. We build a bridge to them. So all about conquering what other people say you cannot do. All right, so we as we roll here on episode 44, and, and we keep it, we keep it as, as funky fresh as we can... Um, I want to get into the Rocky Mountain Showdown, okay? For all my Buff and Ram, Rammies out there, this is the last year they played in Denver. And, you know, it. I think it's been an incredible series. I hope that they keep playing it, obviously. Uh, but I played in the series from 2004. I was, in, I was in high school getting recruited at the time when Sonny Lubick was at CSU, the glory years for them. And then New Heisel and, of course, Coach Barnett and everything he did at CU in his time. So I'd like to think that I was at CU during the height of this rivalry when Bradley Van Pelt was there and whatnot. So I want to go over some of the games and I want to, especially that era, the Rocky Mountain Showdown era where they're playing in Denver and and some of the things that I remember and hopefully we can take you way back in the DeLorean here and and you'll enjoy this as much as I'm going to. Uh, But look, I really love the game. I thought it was awesome. Some really, really great football players on both sides were involved in this. And I, I hope it doesn't go away. They're going to play in Fort Collins next year, which is kick-ass. I hope they start playing home and home. But I hope it doesn't go away. I'd like to see them play every year. And at the end of this little spiel I'm about to give, I'm going to give you some 
some ideas that I have that may be able to heighten the rivalry even more. Uh, so <clears throat> let's just talk about the Rocky Mountain Showdown a little bit and what CUCSU has meant not only to the front range, but to so many of the guys that I know that I played with in the NFL that were rivals in, in high school and then went to CSU that I played against the whole time. Uh, guys like Joel Dreesen and Clint Oldenburg and Eric Pierce and you know Jesse Nading and David Anderson, some of the best football players I played against in college and in the pros and really good dudes uh, that all wish they were Buffaloes. <laughs> and I'll stand by that, you sons of bitches. Uh, and I can't wait to whip that ass one more time. But uh, the Rocky Mountain Showdown, the, from, from you know, really from 1998 until now 2019, it's been played in Denver with the exception of three years. And it's been a pretty kick-ass environment. I mean, the games have been tight, especially at the beginning of it. Uh, and it's been an amazing rivalry, all right? Uh, I'd like to play in Fort Collins more. And I think that that could happen down the road, but we'll see. So your top moments for CU-CSU, um, all together, CU and CSU have played 90 times total, uh, 91's coming. CU has led 66-22 in two damn stupid ties. I hate ties. Um, and CU's won four straight. Now, the game started in Denver in 98, all right? And CU uh, beat CSU 42-14. CSU was ranked at that time, and it was kind of an upset. Honestly, Sonny Lubick had him rolling. And the next season, if you remember correctly, in 99, CU came in ranked. And Kevin McDougal just went off and straight ran the ball down our pipe and just beat the hell out of CU on national TV, 41-14. And that was the Kevin McDougal, you know, the, the Kevin McDougal Express coming out party. I mean, that dude just absolutely shredded CU that day. And that really, you know, put the rivalry back on the map. It was the first time CSU had won in a while. And I remember I was a senior in high school at that time, and there were a lot of CSU fans you know, northern Colorado and whatnot, now at high school, even though it's in Boulder County, there's still a lot of Ram fans around there. And they were talking so much shit. I was already committed to CU and just talking so much jive. And, you know, I thought going to CU, we'd mop up CSU every year. I wasn't really concerned about losing to them. And we got there in 2000. And I remember in 2000, it was the last uh, time that CU and CSU played at Old Mile High. And I'm so blessed that I got to play in that building before they tore it down just because I grew up watching Elway and TD and Stink and Nalen and all those Atwater and Ray Crockett and all, Tony Jones and all my guys, Glenn Cadrez, you know, Ma'ata'avasa out there balling in Old Mile High. And I'm a, a true freshman and I get to, you know, play in Mile High. It was awesome at the time and something that I'll remember forever. But I remember CSU beat us again that year. They beat us two times in a row and that was the first time in for a long time. And I think it's the last time they beat us back to back uh, was that year. Uh, and they beat us in, in, in 2000, 28-24, and it was a dogfight. I remember Marcus Houston had a really good game, and everybody thought he was going to be like the next great one, but really he was just a, one, of, one of the next ones. Uh, so Marquisha ended up playing for CSU, if we remember that correctly, and, and we'll talk about that as we get down the, down the road here. But that game really woke us up in the locker room, and I truly believe this. I think that losing that game to CSU – and then next, the next seat, we went three and eight that year. We were bad. And then we lost to Fresno the next year again. And we said to ourselves after we lost to Fresno in the Jim Thorpe Classic on national TV, and everyone was writing us off and telling Barnett to kick fucking rocks. We said to ourselves, we're not losing to CSU. We can't lose this game. This is the most must-win game ever at that time for CU, in our opinion. And we, in 01, we absolutely shit-stomped them. And it was the opening, it was the first game played in the new 
building in the in what was Sports Authority and now is just Bronco Stadium in Mile High, and it should be. And we just shit stomped them, forty-one fourteen in that 0-1 game, and that really, you know, took us on the run that we made that year in 0-1. So that was our get-right game in 0-1, and then in 0-2, if you remember correctly, it was CSU's get-right game. I'm pretty sure they circled it and said, "We're not losing to these to these guys again." And we were ranked really high. We were coming off a Big 12 title. We had a lot of returners, and a, you know, huge running game and. Chris Brown and downhill and Bobby Purify and whatnot. And if I remember correctly, Cecil Stapp really took the momentum that game. And on a seven or eight yard plunge into the end zone, he ran over the entire defense. And I had medical redshirted that year. I broke my leg in camp. And I remember how hot it was on the field. And they just they just took it from us. They beat CU that day, 1914. And that was the the Bradley Van Pelt spike off Rodsney's helmet. But I'm telling you, that instance, again, you know, you see this this new commercial, uh, the Gatorade or Nike commercial with J.J. Watt talking about your rival and how your rival should fuel you. And when Van Pelt ricocheted that that ball off Snead's helmet, I don't know if I've ever had a, a, a you know the gaslight come on faster in my head in my life. But it, it immediately started true hatred. It went from a rivalry game and trying to beat your rival to fucking hating CSU at that moment. So. They got a huge win for them, 1914, and, you know, things are good, and Van Pelt went on his shit-talking tour for an entire year, if you remember correctly. An entire fucking year. All right, to the point where I'm at the Foundry one night before we play in 03. All right, we're about to play in 03. I'm at the Foundry one night, and Bradley Van Pelt's at the goddamn Foundry, and he tries to, like, buy us all shots, and I'm like, no, I don't want to drink with you. Fuck you, I don't like you. And, and that's the truth. And honestly, I never saw him again after that. But you, it, it's time for you to leave. I don't want to drink with you. And if I stay here, then I'm probably going to fight your ass. And we're not going to be able to duke it out in the Rocky Mountain Showdown. So I'm turning down his drink. I ain't drinking with you. We ain't friends. And why the fuck are you in Boulder anyway? Because you wanted to play at CU as well? Uh-huh. That's what I thought. So 03 hits and the lightning game goes. And we play at night. Uh, it was an unbelievable game. And I'll, take, I'll tip my hat to BVP. He went off. He had 300 yards passing, 150 yards rushing. I think he scored all their touchdowns, and he led them. And they they really played hard. And we ended up beating them 42-35. DJ Hackett and and Donahue, Donahoe and Jeremy Bloom and Derek McCoy went off. McCoy caught an incredibly uh, historic touchdown pass, in my opinion, right when the lightning struck it. He caught it and ran it in for a touchdown, and then we went on a lightning delay. And I remember sitting in the locker room during the lightning, lightning delay and thinking, Joel Klatt is a walk-on right now, and he is just torching CSU. And J.K. went for over 400 yards that night and was a walk-on at the time. All you walk-ons out there, don't let people tell you what you can't do. And that was one of the most memorable games in the entire series, in my opinion. The 3 Lightning game was incredible. Biggest fan base that ever saw it. It was packed to the brim that night in the rain and lightning. Fans came out in droves. CSU thought that they had a great team, and they did. They were really good. And, it, and we weren't as good that year. We had some struggles later in the year. But, it, it, again, it helped us get ready for 04 and 05. In 04, we ended up not playing in Denver and went back to Folsom for 04 and 05's games. And, really, 04 and 05 were the last two games, not just because I, I was a senior in 04 and then in 05, Clatt was a senior, not because those two games were just the end of my era, kind of, and the end of Joel's and, and guys that I played with, but because 
after that, both programs changed. CSU went to the Big 12 or Pac-12 a couple years later and really wasn't good the next couple of years in the Big 12. CSU, Sonny left. You know, they, they really struggled for a while. So it just, after 04 and 05, it changed. That, we'll just say it changed. That's all. So in 04, we had the great goal line stand. That's when, you know, I remember eating in the Dow Ward the night before the game and watching CSU jump up and down on the, the North End Stadium right in front of the Dow Ward, okay? Going toward, towards Fort Collins. Coincidentally, the end zone they needed to score in to dance, to win. And I remember them dancing. And Marcus Houston in the middle of that little mosh pit holding the ball up, talking about how he was going to go off on us. Because he, he ran for 100 yards on us the year before. I mean, we whooped his ass the whole game, and he had a ton of carries. But he said he was going to come in and put 100, 150 on us and be the reason that CSU won. And I remember standing there eating my steak and watching those punks jump up and down on the Buffalo in the, in the end zone, acting, you know, acting out what, what would come no less than 24 hours later, all right? And, and, and Justin Houston, or Justin Houston, Justin Holland is out there shredding us. Holland was a great quarterback, shredding us to David Anderson. They can't run the ball worse shit. I got to actually play against one of my best friends the whole game, Clint Oldenburg, and Joel Dreesen, who was one of the best competitors I ever played against. I played with Joel in the NFL. We were both rookies with the Jets together. That's what I'm talking about. This rivalry is bigger than just a game. But, you know, they couldn't run the ball with us on us worth shit. We were beating the hell out of Marquise the whole game. And, you know, Justin Holland was shredding us until he went to the well one too many times and Ewu picked him off and took it back to the crib. And it put us up in the game, and then they had a chance. They got down to the goal line, and we stopped them on three straight. So the goal, the the end zone where they were dancing up and down and, and acting like they were going to go score, not in our house. We locked the gates on you and Folsom, bitch. You ain't getting in that zone. And then in 05, it was the Mason Crosby Express. I think it was a 60-plus yarder to win, 31-28. That's got to just be a knife in the heart. So CSU, you come so close, yet you don't know how to get over that hump at times. And then at times, they would absolutely just run through the hump and run through the wall. Great teams, man. Great leaders up in Fort Collins. Sonny Lubick was one of the best college coaches in history. That man was awesome. He knew how to recruit the state as well. Not saying that Bobo doesn't or McElwain didn't. I'm saying he just was Sonny. He knew how to do it differently. He had that special touch. He was exactly what CSU needed at that time. Now, moving forward, after 06 to 2019, they played 12 times. CU's won 9 to 12. There was two OT games in there. Like I said, CU went to the Pac-12, and you know CSU had their own struggles. But CU went and invested in their program, built a new building, essentially. CSU built a new stadium and a new building. It's beautiful. I mean, the facilities in Fort Collins are amazing. So these, these, this is what I think should happen, all right, to keep this going in the direction that CU and CSU fans want it to go, okay? First of all, I think that CSU missed its window because when Utah and TCU were killing people in the Mountain West, CSU was kind of struggling at that time. And then BYU left and they were independent. Utah and TCU jumped into major conferences. Well, Colorado has to have two Power 5 teams. They've got to make this happen. So... In order to do that, CSU should have, you know, kept winning at the rate that they were. And I think they would have gotten that opportunity, even with the terrible stadium, because they just built a new one. Obviously, that can get done. 
So they put themselves in position now to get it done, but they're just not winning games at the rate that they need to in order to make it happen. So a couple of things for the game specifically, okay? I think they should move the game to Thanksgiving if we're going to keep playing it. I don't care about the conference's affiliation at that point. I'd like for for CSU to be in the Pac-12. We'll talk about that in a second. Move it to Thanksgiving so CU and CSU can at least play a relevant game at the end of the year, regardless if they're for conference titles or not. It'll be something fun for the state because CU misses Nebraska after Thanksgiving. And CSU, I mean, I don't know, you're playing Hawaii at the end of the year? Who do you play? So both of us need an end-of-the-year rival play at Thanksgiving. Now, if CSU can figure out a way to get in the Pac-12, I think that that's a no-brainer, and you obviously play at the end of the year. Maybe you can get BYU to drop the independent status and they can get in the Pac-12, and there's 14. I truly believe that you're going to get four major conferences at 16 teams each, and then maybe three to four independents, two to three. Hopefully none. Hopefully Notre Dame joins the Big Ten or the ACC or some shit. But I'd like to think everybody will do that, and there's going to be some spots open. You would assume that if they were going to take a couple Mountain West teams or, or BYU or something like that, it would be... UNLV with the Raiders going there, you'd think that UNLV would be a hotbed for the Pac-12. San Diego State, CSU, BYU, Boise, all those schools. Everybody wants to make the jump, but who can? Do you break up the Big 12? One never knows. So you'd like to see, you'd like to think CSU could figure out a way to make this happen. I'd like for them to be in the Pac-12 because I think that CSU and CU as division rivals would, would make this rivalry just absolutely paramount moving forward and honestly then CSU can't use the little brother excuse anymore now we're on the same even playing field and it'll be better to kick your ass even more so I hope you get in our conference so we can keep dominating um and then you know if they're gonna keep it the way it is where they're in different conferences and they're not gonna play at the end of the year then maybe just start playing home and home but not at the beginning of the season you know the, the beginning of the season the first game of the year is I don't like it on the first game of the year. I mean, it's cool, but I'd, I'd rather play Air Force first and then play CSU third just because of the significance of the game because it really does mean something and it is a rivalry. So I truly believe it's a rivalry and I look at it as one and I don't like CSU and I don't want them to win necessarily. There's a lot of kids up there that are Dungeon family and I wish them nothing but the best, but I hope they lose Friday night. Uh, Dreesen, I want my steak, all right? Uh, all you CSU sheep out there who who uh, are going to owe me dinner or, or uh, money, I want it on Monday. Thank you. This is episode 44, McChesney Unchained on the BSN Denver Podcast Network, and that is a wrap. I'm your host, as always, Matt McChesney. Thank you for listening, folks. Episode 45 is going to be pretty kick-ass. We'll wrap up the Broncos, talk about the roster, wrap up the Rocky Mountain Showdown, and get ready for That's Right. The corn are coming to Folsom, baby. It is Nebraska week next week, and we are going to have an incredible show online uh, or, or on deck. We're going to talk to a ton of ex-buffs, uh, and we're going to try and get Coach Barnett on the show. Bobby Pesavento is going to be on the show. Sean Tufts is going to be on the show, and we are going to talk some ball and how you beat Nebraska in Folsom once again. Lock the fucking gates, and let's go to war. It's wartime, baby. Boom, 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 boom. That's right, baby. Go Buffs. This is McChesney Unchained. Episode 44 is a fucking wrap.